Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast. And I have been waiting to interview this gentleman who's joining us today for years. I've been reading his research. I've been quoting it on the radio. I've even done 60-second spots based on the Christian worldview, biblical worldview, foundational studies that have been done by uh, this group. So it is my pleasure, my distinct pleasure to welcome Dr. George Barna. He's the founder of the Barna Group, director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Dr. Barna, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, I am really excited to talk to you about um, your latest study. You did a study on Americans' worldview, and you found out that it's increasingly disparate and irreconcilable. It feels like that when you look around politically. Can you tell us more? Yeah, Stacey, you know, when, when people study worldview, there are more than a dozen specific worldviews that people can talk about, people can learn about, people can discuss. And so we figured, well, we know that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. What do the other 94% have? Nobody's done that research before. So for the past six months, I've been working with faculty and staff here at ACU to try to figure out, boy, how would we measure that? So we did the survey in February. And what we discovered is that none of the well-known, well-defined worldviews are worldviews that Americans buy into lock, stock, and barrel. What we discovered is that essentially in America, what happens is we see ourselves as intellectual, spiritual, and moral free agents. And so what we wind up doing is just picking and choosing elements of different worldviews that we like. They make us feel good. They bring us happiness. They give us comfort. They're more popular than other points of view. And so we buy into those things and we essentially customize our individual worldview. And when we look at what people have wound up with as a worldview, what we normally discover is that it's really something that doesn't even fit together. There's a lot of contradictions in it. It's almost an irreconcilable collection of beliefs and behaviors that we lock into. But because Americans are not deeper, sophisticated thinkers, we don't worry about it. It's like, yeah, it works for me. That's all I need to know. And so what we've decided to to call this thing is syncretism which is really the blending together of many different elements that normally wouldn't be blended together. And so we found that essentially 88% of Americans have a syncretistic worldview. So when I was reading through this, first of all, syncretism, it's not something that I've never heard of before, but to put it in this application and the way that you have described it, I think the, the, the sentence that you, uh, that you applied to it that made the most sense to me especially in today's world, is syncretism is a cut-and-paste approach to making sense of life. The reason people have to cut and paste and basically have a patchwork of morals, standards, ideas, ideological um, direction is because Americans have moved away from looking to the founders' documents, the um, basically the, the basic instruction for living life, which is the Bible, People have moved away from that. So without the Bible to, because the Bible covers everything, there's nothing that you could possibly encounter that is not in the Bible. If you don't have that to look at, then you really do have to look at, you know, this kind of religion, that kind of worldview, that kind of political view, and just use it all to make sense of what you're seeing. Well, it's true. And that's exactly why I think when you look at American society today, and we've got 
you know, the cancel culture, and we've got generational gaps and, you know, battles going on, all kinds of conflict that's taking place. And Americans looking for leaders to help figure out how do we make sense of this? In fact, how do we unite people? Well, when you've given up on ideas such as absolute moral truth, when you've given up on documents such as the Bible and even the, the U.S. Constitution, when you don't believe that other people are trustworthy, uh, when you know, you, you're judgmental and intolerant of opposing views, you put all these things together and essentially what we're doing is we're asking for a miracle. How would we bring 335 million people with individualized, customized, disparate points of view who are not really willing to compromise very much at all, how could we possibly bring them together if there's no point of unity? And that's what the Christian faith had been for America for a couple of centuries, where people said, you know what, that's, that's the thing that we're always going to go back to. The founding document of it all really was the Bible. And as long as we buy into that, and when you read the works of the founding fathers, George Washington, James Monroe, uh, John Adams, and others, they all said, look, this government system, this nation idea is all predicated on the fact that we are going back to this document, the Bible, as being the foundation stone, the thing that will bring us back together because it unites us in thought and action. Well, when you give up on that, then you're just like every other nation in the world where you're waiting for, you know, the military or some totalitarian leader to overwhelm everybody else and impose his or her will. And that's not what we need in America. So when I'm when I'm listening to you talk about this, it makes so much sense to me. But I am a Christian and I'm a Bible believing Christian. And, and I remember the first time I really realized that there's a huge difference between the profession of Christianity as I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu, I'm a Christian, which, you know, 88% of Americans, 82%, depends on what year, will say, oh, I'm Christian. They, they What they're saying is, I, I'm not Muslim, you know, I'm not Hindu, I'm Christian. But when it comes to the practice, you have been, over, over the years, pounding that 4% number, 4% of Americans are Bible-believing Christians. And you actually did a little, it's a, a list of questions and you did it for the Family Research Council, and it's all over the internet. And I remember reading through it, and it was such an easy one for me because all of the answers are yes. So I'm like, okay, this is easy. I'm, I have a biblical worldview. But then I realized so many people don't. And you point out in, in the study that you've done, so you have the American Worldview Inventory of 2021, the first of its kind to measure the seven prominent worldviews, biblical theism, secular humanism, postmodernism, moralistic therapeutic deism, nihilism, Marxism, which includes critical race theory, and Eastern mysticism, which is the New Age stuff. You did this after you realized that people don't have a Christian worldview. And you said worldview is caught more than it's taught in the USA. So when we see uh, like Hollywood, I, I never really realized until I became a parent how much of what people believe is driven by Hollywood, because you watch television. And if there's a new norm that they want to create in America, they introduce it on television and in the movies, and they pound you with it. And then in 10 years, we all accept it. So that is how they are impacting worldview. And we as Christians are supposed to be living out our biblical worldview. And we should be the dominant force in American society because of the strength of our argument comes from God himself. 
Uh, there isn't anything more powerful than that. But if we don't live it, we therefore can't sell it to other people. Other people don't want it. They don't see it in us. They don't, they're not envious or like, how can I get what you have? They're not asking that question. Well, it's true. And, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the things that influence the worldview that we wind up absorbing. When I did a, a piece of research trying to figure out what makes us think what we think and do what we do, I found that there were seven dominant influence entities in America today that typically influence somewhere between 60 to 70 percent of our thoughts and behaviors. And five of those seven entities were arts and entertainment media, you know, things like television and movies and music and books. And, you know, so you look at all of that and you wonder, well, why are those things so impactful? Well, number one, Americans spend more time absorbing media content than doing anything else except perhaps working and sleeping. Uh, but then it's media content. And so that substance is drilled into us hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month. And as a part of that, what we've done is we've developed a celebrity-oriented culture. And so then we start paying attention in the quote-unquote news to what celebrities are saying and thinking and doing, as if they knew any better than the rest of us. And so you've got that beating on us. And then you've got government was you know uh, another entity in that top seven, and family. And so those things together are what basically contribute the majority of the influence to our worldview. We look at family today, we know that they are not intentional and they are not strategic about helping their children to develop the worldview that those kids are going to grow up with. And that's critically important because a worldview develops between 15 to 18 months of age and 13 years of age. Uh, between you know your teens and, and 20s, you refine your worldview, but basically the foundations of it are put in place when you're young. And so families, that's their most critical job, and yet they're abandoning that. They're subcontracting it to outside professionals and letting those people imprint their worldview on our kids. So it's really kind of a, a mixed-up, chaotic time right now where Americans really have lost their way. So, Dr. Barna, uh, you know, drilling down on what you just said just a tad, um, when you say that it's it's formed by 13 and then we see kids who, you know, they grow up they they grow up in church. I'm using my little quote fingers here. Um, they're they're spending time around Christians or going to youth group. They might even be going to Wednesday night. There's some kind of thing for kids on at church on Wednesdays. But then the minute they hit high school that starts to be peeled away. And by the time they get to college, their instructors are drilling them with critical race theory, racism, race oriented, everything. They start to drag those kids to the left and very few of them have been equipped to stand up to it. So when you talk about the parents outsourcing the worldview training, because I believe it's our, our job to indoctrinate our kids. I, that is our job. Um, and we won't be perfect at it, but at least if we know it's our job, we'll be much more focused on doing it than if we, as you say, outsource it or just leave it, um, leave it to chance. So what, what would you say is the most important thing for parents to know in those 18 months to 13 years, the thing that, they're so, that they need to apply themselves to daily to get the result that we all want as Christian parents, which is Christian young adults, you know, our kids to be Christian young adults? Well, there are a number of things, Stacey, but, you know, when we look at that, one of the things that we find is going to a church 
in America these days typically doesn't aid your development of your worldview. Because churches have created a set of metrics that don't have anything to do with worldview. They're more interested in transmitting information than facilitating transformation. And so it comes back to parents where then they've really got to focus on the thing that Deuteronomy tells us is the most important function they'll ever have, which is to raise up those children to be lovers and followers of God. Now, you can't give what you don't have, so first of all, parents have to get their own act together. They have to know what they believe, why they believe, and what it looks like in practice so that they can model it for their children. Uh, But when we think about content, there are a number of different areas in our research. We look at eight different categories that we measure, but things like truth and morals and purpose in life, those are critical foundations that begin developing at those very early ages. When young children are first learning language, they're first observing what other people are doing, and they're trying to figure out why, and what kind of person do I want to be like? Do I want to imitate what these people are doing? Why? How am I going to do that? What kind of person do I want to be? So parents have to be involved in those kinds of conversations and those kinds of activities with their kids constantly, rather than thinking that moving up the corporate ladder is their top priority in life. Their top priority has to be the one that God has assigned to them, which is you take these children, which are my gift to you, you present them back as a gift to me because you've helped them to develop a knowledge of and a love for me, for God, and a willingness to spend their life trying to serve me based on my principles. Yeah, I think think we, we, we... We do. We say, well, for my family, for my kids, I need to X, Y, and Z, you know, career-wise, because I want to make sure they can live here, go to this school, do this, do that. And over time, parents, older parents always tell younger parents, oh, don't worry so much about, you know, don't don't worry about the fancy birthday parties. They don't remember them. Don't worry about, you know, the trips when they're younger. They don't, they don't really remember them. Sure, it's nice to go on vacation. You, you shouldn't deprive yourself, but don't worry about, you know, having to go to all these different things while they're small pour into them and spend time with them because the small years go by so quickly. But most parents are really a part of American culture, which is very success driven, success oriented. And that does get in the way of the kind of careful discipleship that you're describing there of children. It, it, it actually takes a lot of time and it is it really, you need a full-time mom at home to do it. But if you don't have that, even both parents focused on it, no matter what they're doing for a living, if the focus is on discipling them into being strong Christians and loving God, the other things will come along. But um, I don't see that focus. And, and our culture is actually rapidly against that right now. It used to be kind of neutral, but now it's rapidly against it, which also discourages young parents, especially if they weren't raised as Christians themselves. Yeah, and Stacey, you know, when we talk about, well, then uh, what do we do to pull a U-turn here and and get on the right path? I think part of it has to do with some basic definitions of what propels us forward every day. We could look at an idea like success. And in our research, when we ask people, what do you consider success to be? Eight out of 10 times or more, we get people answering things like, well, you know, it's how much I'm able to achieve, how much I'm able to acquire, what my status or reputation is, those kinds of things. And yet the scriptures teach us that success is consistent obedience to God. When we ask people about, well, what's your purpose for getting out of bed in the morning? Why do you bother living? 
what's it all about? We hear things like, well, it's about being successful in the eyes of the world. It's about living a comfortable life. It's about happiness. That's the big one. And yet again, when we go back to the scriptures, we find out that actually it's not even about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And our role here is to know him and to love him and to serve him with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. I mean, if you just put those two things together, that success is about consistent obedience to God, his ways, his principles, his teachings, and our our primary purpose, if not our only purpose in life, is to know, love, and serve God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. Those two concepts alone would radically change our schedule from day to day. And it's something that I think would really benefit America. I so agree. And I'm hoping that um, people understand we're, we're still talking about the, the thing that we say as we say happiness, right, Dr. Barna? But the truth is the Bible provides for us to be happy, but it's not happiness. It's joy. The joy is something that is consistent. It's constant. And it comes from Christ and knowing him. And it's our strength. And it means that even when our circumstances are not what we want them to be, we can still live joyfully. That is not the same quality that you get if you're just seeking to be happy, because happy is dependent upon circumstances. Uh, Really, it's dependent upon everything going the way you want it to. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned as a parent is that I'm not in control. Not only am I not in control of my kids, I'm not even truly in control of myself, because in the end, um, you know, if I really acknowledge God's role in my life and understand it, I pray to him and I ask him, you know, for help and direction. And, you know, can you, this is the desire of my heart. But in the end, God ordains our steps and he is utterly in control. And so we, there's this balancing act between the responsibility that we have to obey him and live for him and the acknowledgement that ultimately he is sovereign. These are things that if we're, if we're really honest, we're going to be praying and struggling through those because we want to, we want to honor God, but we also are human beings and we want things. Um, and so we, we're, we're working through that. And I'm in- increasingly encountering young adults who have no concept of that. They, they don't, they not only, they don't know God, they don't know anything about the creative power of God or the role that he plays in our lives, even in the lives of unbelievers. Um, and so it's it's disappointing, but I, I do know that once someone comes to know Christ, all things begin to come into proper order. And so we have to start at home, discipling the kids, and then move out into the rest of the world. And obviously, we've not been doing it. It's our responsibility that the culture is in the condition it's in because of a lack of action on the part of the church. Yeah, you know, the, the way I like to put it is that the church in America is being influenced by the culture more than the culture is being influenced by the Christian church in America. Mm-hmm. That needs to be turned back around. You know, and apropos to what you were saying before that, I, I think you're exactly right. When people in America these days look at the Bible, they think that it's a bunch of onerous limitations that are going to eliminate our freedom. It's going to lead to a debilitating lifestyle. We're not going to be our ultimate self. When in point of fact, it's just the opposite. God made sure that we have the Bible at our disposal, primarily because he wants us to thrive. And he knows that there are certain approaches in life that will facilitate thriving. And all of that is what's going to allow us to enjoy him. Americans tend not to even think about the concept of the capacity to enjoy the presence and the ways of God. 
if we got back to that more traditional perspective, I probably shouldn't even use the T word. Americans hate the thought <laughs> of traditional ideas. Yep. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's, that's really what enabled people in the past, despite not having the Mercedes Benz, despite not having the 5,000 square foot home in Beverly Hills, they loved life. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because so many of them understood that this life is all about connecting with and knowing and loving and serving that, that great God. If we got back to that mentality, things would go very differently. Yeah, they would. Um, and, and the funniest thing about it is um, whatever it is that you think, like when you mentioned the 5,000 square foot house in Beverly Hills, now that we know so much more about Hollywood and what it's like to live in California and in L.A., um, the things that used to be like the almost the gold standard of this is success now look so tarnished and broken down. And I, I know there are still people who believe in that culture, but celebrity culture has really exposed itself to be the most vile and um, disgusting part of America. And the fact that it's still elevated at all is kind of it's a it's an anomaly. It's it's a weird truth that I, I, even even people that I d- disagree with politically, like 100%, make similar comments about Hollywood, about the NFL, about a lot of different areas where we used to think, oh, you know, look at how dreamy that is. And now we know it's it's really the best life is out in uh, the hinterlands in the Midwest with, you know, just what you need or whatever you've, you, you know, whatever God has given you, that's the adventure. It's not going to Hollywood or New York or someplace like that. Yeah, and, you know, Stacey, I grew up on the East Coast, born in New York City, and eventually after grad school moved out to Hollywood, literally lived. Uh, we bought our first house in Hollywood. And uh, based on the lies that we've been fed for, you know, a quarter of a century before we moved west, when we got to Hollywood, I mean, there were, there were some great things about it, but we were shocked at the reality of what the Hollywood life is really all about. You know, it it turns out to be pretty empty. I mean, it's distorted for public consumption. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And ultimately, we discovered, you know, uh, people are being sold a bill of goods in that. And we were fortunate that we found a Christian community in Hollywood. It wasn't easy to find it at that point. But, I mean, we found it, and and that really became our source of, of life. You know, being with these people who realized, wow, all this other stuff is fake. It's nonsense. But when you cling to the living God who created us to love him and to relate to him and to enjoy him, that's a real life. It is. Uh, I knew we were going to have a great conversation. Um, I want to I want to respect your time. And I'm so glad we got to chat. I hope we will get to chat again on the night show over at Sirius XM. Um, but until then, I encourage everyone to go to culturalresearchcenter.com where you can find out more about Dr. Barna, his research, and especially um, the wonderful information that they're sharing on their latest study. And that study, in case um, you did not hear it earlier when I was mentioning it, it, the study is called Americans Worldview Increasingly Disparate and Irreconcilable. It's by the Cultural Research Center. Dr. Barna, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. It's been really great to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Stacey. I appreciate it. All right. 
it was great to have Dr. Barna with us. And I also want to point you to our sponsor, which is the Alliance for Shared Health. You can join 40,000 households in participating in health sharing, which does not fund abortion. Uh, You can also access a virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescription at the pharmacy using the shared prescription card. And you're doing this while sharing in the financial burden of healthcare expenses, including need sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental and vision. And all of this is at imaging tests, labs, and up to 80% off. You're also saving 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums that you would be paying to a traditional health insurer by using the Alliance for Shared Health. So reach out to Ash today, head over to stacyontheright.com or familyvisionmedia.org and click the banner ad and you will find instant access to signing up for the summit plan or any of the other levels of health sharing. That's stacyontheright.com or familyvisionmedia.org. Click the banner ad and start sharing and saving today. The Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives. It has been such a pleasure to be with you. I hope you're having a fantastic day or afternoon. Find out more at stacyontheright.com and tune in to SiriusXM every night at 9 p.m. Eastern for the radio program. All right. See you next time.